0: Welcome to The Waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and this week, The Batman. The Batman! (laughs) Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing that we can't get off our minds. And today you've got me, Allegra Frank, a deputy editor for The Daily Beast's Obsessed. And me, Ingu Kang, TV critic for The Washington Post. Ingu and I are here to talk about... The Batman, (laughs) among other things. We're here to talk about Batman, Batgirl, and Warner Brothers, where they currently live, or they did, in the case of Batgirl. Recent news was HBO Max canceling the release of the Batgirl movie. Uh, The movie was already shot, and now it's being shelved, which is very, very rare. And it generated a lot of questions on both what is happening to the platform, but also what this means for content featuring women and other marginalized identities in a traditionally pretty white male genre. And I have done some reporting on this. I wrote a piece for Obsessed About It, and I've spent a ton of time thinking about HBO Max and Warner Brothers and Batman and the DC Universe and men in different kinds of ways. I won't get into that Ingu, why do you want to talk about this? This is a topic that I can't stop thinking about
1: because now, after these like, years-long discussions about what is television, what are the streaming wars, why are we seeing so much content, now we are sort of forced to reckon a little bit with sort of the gender nature of the streaming wars, and, you know, in their essence, the streaming wars are about these giant multinational corporations sort of going at it like Godzilla versus King Kong. And you're like, eh, I guess it will be like the collateral damage. Do, do, do. But from an audience standpoint, they're also really a struggle over what our mass culture is going to look like, who gets the opportunities to tell their stories, which perspectives get a hearing which groups will have their experiences represented on screen, and really how our collective imaginations will be stirred toward new futures or not. Batgirl is one film, let's get that clear. And yet I think its fate is a potential auger for what happens to stories about women, women of color, and other marginalized identities, as the entertainment industry appears to be contracting in the near future. The streaming wars have increased the kind of stories that pop culture has been able to tell, simply because there's been a greater, some would say unsustainable, investment in content. And with these companies deciding that they would like to tell fewer stories going forward, the question for us, I think, quickly becomes whose stories will be considered
0: disposable? Next up, we're going to talk more about what happened with Batgirl, the Batgirl movie we have referenced, and why that has set off a conversation about whose stories, as Ingu beautifully said, are considered disposable when it comes to media. More on that after this ad. Hey waves listeners. If you're loving the show and want to hear more, subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. While you're there, check out our other episodes, too, like last week's called Live, Laugh, Lexapro.
1: This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you.
0: All right. We are back. I'm here with Ingu. I'm Allegra. We're going to talk a little bit about the Batgirl movie, which I'm sure many of you weren't even aware they were making a movie about Batgirl. Maybe you don't. I wasn't. Right. I didn't. I think I had heard this was happening, but I didn't know too much about it. I didn't know when it was coming out. I didn't know who was involved. But turns out it had a pretty interesting pedigree to it. And so when HBO announced, um, I should say Warner Brothers Discovery, HBO's parent company, uh, its step-parent Discovery, once they joined hands and got married and decided to figure out who's living where and which furniture gets to stay, Batgirl was thrown to the curb. A lot of people were disappointed because the movie was already shot. They had spent months shooting it in Scotland. And also the directors were people of color. They recently worked on the show Miss Marvel, which is a rare show in superhero in the superhero media landscape about a woman and a woman of color lead. And Leslie Grace of In the Heights, another woman of color, was going to play Batgirl. There was a trans Asian actress who played Batgirl's best friend. Um, It was just going to have this pretty impressive you know, a kaleidoscope of actors to it. But HBO Max, which was going to host this movie, it was going to be a direct streaming film. will no longer show it. No one will get to see this movie, at least officially or legally, um, because, you know, it was in post-production. So it was close to being done. It hadn't had a release date set yet, but pretty much everything that needed to be done on it was done. And they decided to, toss it out. WB Discovery was going to take a tax credit instead of releasing the film, the $90 million film, which is pretty wild. So Ingu, you mentioned you didn't know much about Batgirl, and then you heard the story. What was your reaction?
1: I think the thing that sort of threw everyone was how boldly commercial and baldly financial a decision this was. I think like that's really one of the reasons why people went so nuts over it, because we like to pretend that all of the pop culture that we see are sort of like things that exist, because people are like, this will make a great story, as opposed to this is a thing that is going to make money. And I think that there's been so many discussions in the last, I don't know, five, ten years about these representational milestones And we really like to think of these as these like cultural touchstones and to have someone go out there and be like, actually, all this is, is just like a matter of dollars and cents on a ledger to me. But I think, you know, on the other side of that, it was going to be, I believe, the first Batman, anything with a Latina lead, uh, which I think was going to be pretty big for DC, which uh, does not have a huge record of stories fronted by women of color.
0: Right, or really women. Or really
1: women. (laughs) In general. (laughs) And at the same time, it was hard for me sort of like not to notice that the way that it was dismissed was a way that a lot of stories a lot of like, quote unquote, diverse stories or stories about women are generally tend to get dismissed. Um, David Zaslav, the guy who now runs Warner Brothers Discovery said that the movie feels small, and that we're going to focus on quality. And so there's a sort of immediate assumption of there are certain movies that are are big and universal, and there are other stories that are small and only appeal to a niche. And I think we all sort of know which types of stories tend to get coded as, like, universal versus niche, right? Or big versus small. I think if he says, like, we're not going to put out a movie unless we believe in it, like, that's fine, but... There are lots of movies that get released where the studios don't really believe in it and they become really big hits anyway. Like the studio totally thought Venom was going to be a disaster and now there's Venom 2. And probably a Venom 3. And I think sort of in the overarching DC Universe version of things, their line with regard to the Batgirl thing has been, our job is to protect the DC brand. But they have this like ongoing disaster with Ezra Miller and The Flash, where the star of that movie, much more expensive than Batgirl, is an ongoing PR I don't know. It's like a dumpster fire, and yeah, I was going to say disaster.
0: nuclear war zone. <laughs> right, I was going to just say disaster is way too uh, light <laughs> for what's going on there.
1: And so it feels really frustrating that you have this movie that is sort of being dismissed out of hand, and really dismissed with the kinds of coded language that stories that aren't about white men tend to get dismissed. So
0: all of that was like very frustrating for me. I have to approach this uh, at, as a business story as much of as it is a creative story, which is frustrating because a big part of the reason why this happened is there was this merger, Warner Brothers and Discovery merged. Discovery is known for making, you know, mostly nonfiction television, HBO, Warner Brothers owns HBO, it owns CW. um, It owns more scripted channels that have more scripted programming. So and they also own obviously the DC universe and DC brand, the film rights to it. So before the merger, they were very gung ho about not just pushing DC into new stories and new places, but also to diversify in ways that Marvel has slowly done so. I mean, Mar- not to give Marvel much credit, really, but like let's not. <laughs> let's not, but they do have at least a few a few female heroes that they're trying to bring in.
1: They already have a Miss Marvel.
0: Exactly. That's <laughs> they have Miss Marvel. They have Captain Marvel. All of them have to be called Marvel. So you really know <laughs> that they're from Marvel. And DC just doesn't have that. And it is disappointing. It is disappointing that that is what they considered as we said disposable. Obviously this they said it was small and I do agree. I think that is very coded language for like this was never going to be big enough to warrant a theatrical release anyway, which is why we are just going to dump it on streaming in the first place and then it's not even worthy of that. It is kind of disappointing in the same way that Miss Marvel Um, was just a TV show, right? The stories about women of color that do get to exist in these very large mainstream media franchises are still shunted to separate corners. And
1: I think that, you know, as much as we really hate talking about this, there is sort of this, like, particular hierarchy of diversity that, like, we've been able to see, you know, you... When people start complaining about how there is a certain franchise is dominated by white guys, and then the studios are like, okay, um, we'll give you stories about black men. We'll give you stories about white women. And then maybe eventually, gradually, somewhere, we'll give you a story about women of color. And I, <laughs> unfortunately, it feels like This was the point at which that was going to happen. And then the rug got pulled out from under it. And so there's a sort of sense, at least for me, of this like aborted project of like that representational fullness that also felt really frustrating.
0: Do you have any hope now for, if not a Batgirl movie uh, in theaters, for? the new overlords at WB discovery to reinvigorate this project that they were very, very slowly trying to undertake with the green lighting of things like Batgirl, or do you just have no hope yet left that, you know, we're just going to get our little Shazam movie and our little, you know, uh, black Adam movie and, continue to only have Wonder Woman <laughs> on screen, um, where do you stand on the future?
1: What a bleak question.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> the future in general, Ingu, where do you think we as people are going <laughs> I... I don't know. I don't want to be
1: overly cynical about it because we don't know what the future is. We don't know precisely what the development pipeline looks like. I think there's been a lot of talk about a Black Canary movie. I don't know like the DC Universe super well, but I believe it's the Journey Smollett character from the Harley Quinn movie, Birds of Prey, uh, starring Margot Robbie. They haven't canceled that yet, and I do think that... Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery now knows this was optically really, really bad. But do they seem like people who care about optics versus caring about money? Um,
0: I don't really know. The way they bungled all of this, you know, over the last few weeks with how this news was reported. I mean, we say that they announced this stuff, but it was only really after the fact. A lot of reporters scooped them on this information before anyone at WB was able to confirm it. So, they weren't doing a great job actually holding down the fort and taking, uh, holding themselves accountable or giving any kind of valid or validating sort of information um, about the decision-making here. So... They're not they're not doing the greatest job on any of those fronts. And actually, on the day that we're recording, uh, they just there were some reports, some more damning reports released that they laid off 14 percent of the workforce, about 70 different staffers across the various programming departments over at HBO Max, predominantly Kids and family and reality programming, neither of which Batgirl, for example, would pertain to, but also those are two genres that do often have more diverse casts. So there really is a a deprioritization to me, it feels as though it does, um, of working toward that that mission that if implied if not stated outright toward giving more women and people of color their due i agree i hope black canary makes it but i similarly don't have a ton of faith for any of this
1: yeah as long as they save f boy island um that's oh my, my god. priority.
0: <laughs> if they don't save f boy island i swear to god i don't even want to th- i don't Think about that. Let's not put that energy out. <laughs> and now we're going to have to reset because I need to take a breather from that thought. And we're going to take a break. But if you want to hear more from Ingo and myself on another topic, check out our Waves Plus segment. Is this feminist? Where today we're debating whether the Batman is feminist. I really can't do that. That was the beautiful,
1: honestly. <laughs> Thank you. I, I think I'm getting better. <laughs> And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast, no paywall on the Slate site, and to bonus content of shows like Amicus, Slate Mummy, and of course this one. To learn more, go to slate.com/thewavesplus.
0: Okay, we are back. Ingoo, we talked a lot about Batman. We talked a lot about Batgirl. We talked a lot about DC. What about streamers in general? So we HBO Max is sort of at the heart of this whole discussion. And part of what we're suggesting is that with the new merger, the merger between Warner Brothers and Discovery, they are deprioritizing these stories of people of color and women. Um, do you see that being anomalous in the streaming landscape or is that pretty par for the course that the focus is on the consumer which according to these guys is white men so i made a short list of what i think are the
1: biggest uh, shows on hbo max hacks the gossip girl reboot julia about julia child the pretty little liars reboot the flight attendant love life sex lives of college girls and just like that. Or I guess, and, and just like that. But that sounds really awkward. The point I'm trying to prove is that I think HBO Max was largely created, or the programming is really largely oriented around bringing in more women viewers with scripted content. And I feel like at this point with regard to HBO Max, that's probably one of the reasons why it has become such a gigantic juggernaut. Um, I don't know about you, but as a TV critic, HBO Max seems to me, by and large, the streamer with the biggest hit rate and certainly the most cultural cachet. And yes, like the HBO brand is like a part of that. But on the other hand, I think it's also because they've been really chasing after this bigger female audience. And I feel like it, it really should be taken into account that one of the reasons why it became so big is because they are chasing those audience.
0: HBO Max has sort of supplanted Netflix in that way, where it has a really smart and curated, but also diverse onslaught of content. And not <laughs> an onslaught. I think, I think that HBO Max We actually... love a diverse onslaught. <laughs> That's a new name of the podcast, by the way. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think Netflix actually has the onslaught problem of they have so much stuff. And HBO Max doles out its releases in a much smarter way, I think. Um, and it does, you know, it'll ha- it'll drop something like Hacks and then it'll drop something like Sweet Life Los Angeles and then it will drop rap shit. And then it will, you know, then it's also buttressed by the fact that HBO is still part of it. Like HBO is a huge part of it. So then you get things like the rehearsal, you get things like succession, you get all these kinds of shows that are all existing in the same sphere. And so the quality is just, it's so there. But then, you know, Netflix used to do this where it had a ton of very well acclaimed shows, and it was appealing to so many different audiences. But now it's sort of lost its way and jumped a ton of different content, but not in such a manner that a ton of different people are going to want to find it because it's hard to find it. So I think HBO max really nails that old school sort of Netflix vibe for me.
1: First of all, we should know that like the streaming merger where the consumers will really feel it uh, between Discovery Plus and HBO Max isn't really going to go into effect until summer of 2023. So everyone has like a full year to still really relish HBO Max um, until then. (laughs) But I do think that there was a uh, really unfortunate slideshow presentation from the WB Discovery Chief um, a couple of weeks ago, where there was sort of this, I think, gender essentialist discussion of like what are male skewing shows, what are female skewing shows. And I think that particular blunder really made people fear once again what we're going to be seeing from WB Discovery slash HBO Max going forward.
0: So what you're referring to is that WB Discovery has its earnings call, and this happens every quarter. Like, every business does this. It's just that most of us don't pay attention to them because we're not stockholders, so it's not relevant to us. But you and I both have been in this industry. I'm sure you've watched these earnings calls and other sorts of investor meetings before. The point is they're very business-focused. So when – WB Discovery talking about its merger posted a slide saying we've done our research and HBO is male skewing and or HBO Max and Discovery Plus, which is Discovery's streaming service, obviously, is female skewing. And I think a lot of people, you know, took umbrage to that because that suggests with that without context and just seeing that image, it's like, oh, so HBO Max is for guys and Discovery Plus is for girls. That's what you're saying. But, I mean, it's truly that this is written by a a person without empathy who is paid a lot of money to make a lot of money. To not have empathy. They are paid to not have empathy. And they're paid to not understand how anyone will ever read their, their work and understand it outside of that realm. So when they say something like male skewing, it's just that, you know, in talking to friends who study this sort of thing, too, if 54% of HBO Max subscribers are men, that's male skewing, they're going to run with that, because they're going to say, hey, we've captured the male audience. So advertisers, you can sell your sports and Viagra and condoms to these people. That's the first thing that comes to mind for me with men and men products. Uh, I don't know what that says about me. But then with Discovery Plus, 54% of those subscribers could be women and therefore it is female skewing and you can sell your tampons, yogurt and orthopedic shoes to them. Again, I don't know what this says about me. So to me, understanding this and understanding strategy, I'm like, okay, that's just them trying to say, now look, we can have the whole 100% of genders, all two of them, um, haha in, in our combined streaming service. But of course, to us human beings, we see that and we're like, well, this doesn't feel good, especially compounded by the fact you just dumped Batgirl, you've dumped... La Cordita Chronicles, which is a show that was well regarded, a family show about a young Hispanic girl. We don't have a lot of shows about Asian people showing them in good lights or Hispanic people showing them trans people. Um, you know, we're watching HBO Max and all these other services kind of contract when it comes to diverse content of genre and of medium too. But like with the visibility like with the actual faces of these content this content and to see that slide i think probably felt like you know doubling down on that does that does that sound right to you
1: yeah i i think it's right to feel anxious I think um, within the sort of TV slash TV critics industry, (laughs) there's been this like ongoing hand-wringing about how there are too many television shows. Um, John Landgraf, the president of FX, started counting some years ago how many new scripted shows. So like not even counting reality TV. uh, There are made every single year. And up until the pandemic, the numbers just kept going up from something like 500 shows to I think the number got as far as like 700 some shows. Obviously, there are too many shows. And at the same time, I think that you know, in that ecosphere of too many shows, there were all of these really amazing uh, perspectives uh, that were able to be given a chance that probably would not have been given a chance in a more traditional TV environment, let's say 15, 20 years ago, before Netflix came on the screen or before Netflix was a really big player. And everyone knew that that money was unsustainable because all Netflix was doing was burning money. And then uh, because Netflix was burning money, everyone else also felt like to keep up with Netflix, they also had to burn money. And I think we are, 2022 is basically the point at which people are going to stop burning money or at least burn a little bit less money. And now that we sort of grapple with the smaller slate of programming that is probably going to come and a lot of that being supplanted by uh, unscripted shows or cheaper shows, especially on the Netflix side of things. I think the question is going to become, okay, so does that mean that all of these experiments with diverse storytelling and with all of us focus on female-led shows, does that mean that that is going to... Be less of a thing going forward. I'll ask you the tough question, Allegra, this time around, and ask you to conjecture, like, do you think that that is what we are going to be seeing?
0: That is a tough question.
1: <laughs> Look in your
0: crystal ball. <laughs> I feel like there's going to be a, a level of backlash increasingly. So I think as people become increasingly aware of these sort of industry moves as things continue to combine and contract and condense. And I think people are wanting more from their companies in terms of just, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but that's a thing we feel very strongly about, right? Like we we want our companies to be more ethical. We want them to be more reflective of us and our needs. And I do feel like people are going to become increasingly outspoken about this sort of thing.
1: I hope that the diversity genie has been let out of the bottle and there's no putting it back. Um, I hope, but I also think just from a business side of things, All I feel like I have been hearing for the last five years when people have been talking about, quote unquote, the diversity boom in Hollywood is when it's going to be over. And I really hope that it's not over. But I don't know, like, what sane person would put
0: their hopes in Hollywood? Before we head out... We want to give you some recommendations. Ingu, what are you loving right now? I think while we're on the subject of Batgirl,
1: I really want to go to bat for the Harley Quinn cartoon, uh, which is currently in its third season. It is actually on HBO Max, although it started its life, I believe, for the first two seasons on the now-defunct DC uh, streaming site. It is a cartoon version a very gory, very violent, very emotionally rich version of Harley Quinn um, and her best friend, Poison Ivy. Harley is voiced by Kaylee Cuoco, who does just a brilliant job. And uh, Poison Ivy, which is uh, who I always love calling Plant Daria because that's sort of like the gist of her character, uh, is voiced by Lake Bell, and essentially the cartoon sort of begins with Harley leaving the Joker, realizing that was just a bad relationship she needs to get away from, and rediscovering her purpose as a supervillain and uh, sort of trying to like deprogram her mind from wanting all of these things that male supervillains wanted because they were male and because she didn't really question what her values were before. And now sort of realizing that she actually needs to figure out her own goals as a supervillain. I guarantee you, it is probably the best written Batman thing I have seen in forever. And in the current season, there is one episode where Harley, who began life as a psychiatrist for the criminal insane, or whatever the term is, uh, actually goes inside Batman, Bruce Wayne's mind. And the way that they depict that trauma is both really hilarious and really emotionally rich. Um, and I don't know how the show pulled that off, but it's just like a perfect encapsulation of the strengths of that show.
0: That was a very... Very eloquent and strong recommendation. Definitely co-sign that recommendation. As for a recommendation of my own, I recently finished the new season talking about streaming. Um, keep that going. The new season of Never Have I Ever, which is on Netflix, not HBO Max, um, season three. If you haven't seen the show before, it's great. It's a a teen dramedy teen comedy but it really appeals beyond just teens i think um but it is about a an indian american high school girl and her friends um as they sort of navigate being nerds but also really horny and how do you how do you reconcile those two things because nerds don't get any, except in this show they do. And it's actually quite lovely, and it's very funny, and the cast is very, very diverse. Um, and it made me cry this season, because there's also a beautiful story about mothers and daughters. There's explorations of grief, identity, and uh, debates, competitions, school plays, it's all the th- kinds of things that are both fun to watch and moving to watch. So I would definitely recommend checking that one out on Netflix. It's about 10 episodes, half an hour each. I watched it in like a weekend. You can probably do the same.
1: It is definitely the horny Asian American story that I wish had existed during my coming of age.
0: Yeah. It's a pretty good year for those stories between Turning Red and this new season of Never Have I Ever. Oh, I love Turning Red. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shayna Roth. Shannon Paulus is our editorial director. Alicia
1: Montgomery is the vice president of audio. That's a title I wish I had. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves at slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place.